Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Dharma Toolkit podcast with me, Chandra Dasa. And today, I'm very happy to say back from retreat, our friend and colleague, Sadai C, who we'll say hello to in a little second. And I'm excited to kick off this next round of episodes with an introduction to the home retreat, which is coming up in July from July the 10th on thebuddhistcentre.com. And we're, for the first time, working with a whole retreat centre to bring you a home retreat. And we're going to meet the fabulous beings who will be providing amazing Dharma resources for you, wherever you are in the world, from where they are in the world. We'll meet them quite soon. But first, hello to Sadai Sihi in Dublin, who's back from a solitary retreat with a bit of a difference. Standard Asa, yeah, a bit of a difference. So technically, as a lot of people kept correcting me, it wasn't a solitary, it was a duolatry, because I was doing this with my partner in the house that I'm currently living in, in the city. So it was kind of two new things at once. Yeah, it was a bit of a strange experience. Firstly, being in the city. So every time I went out for a walk, you were kind of right in the thick of things, which is not the usual experience I have of being on retreat. And then also having just one other person there with you the whole time was interesting as well. Because we're just, you know, getting on with our own practice, but having someone else there was nice in one way, but also in, sometimes it felt like actually I kind of missed having the psychic space of being completely alone. And usually I go to this lovely place in Ireland called Jampoline and this real caravan. And I quite like that. It just feels really close to nature. So yeah, it was a bit of a retreat with a difference. So I think at the moment, this is day two post-retreat, um, feeling a little bit of post-retreat blues, maybe. Although I'm slowly gearing back up and I just had a really nice conversation about meditation with Kamala Vajra, who works for Dharma Chakra. So that kind of cheered me up and sort of, yeah, I suppose helped the process of integrating back into work mode a little bit easier. And is there a new phase of lockdown, et cetera, happening in Ireland? Have you come back off retreat to a kind of slightly changed world with all of that? Or is it as you were? It's still as was, although next Monday we're moving into another phase. I think in this next phase, more things will be opening like restaurants and shops, but all kind of socially distant. So I'm not sure if that phase is the phase where we can start moving around the country again. I think it is because at the moment you can only travel within your own county. So we're definitely moving in, in the right direction again. Yeah, just slowly and with awareness that there's still people dying, I guess. So I was reading something about apparently people who have COVID the most are people under 35. There is a sense, even if we're not technically easing out of it, people are starting to do that themselves. Yeah, I live on the east coast of the US and it's been a very strange time because it's suddenly very hot. So it's swelteringly hot and there are suddenly huge protests happening kind of almost every day, which is quite affecting culturally and also it's a very strange way to leave lockdown is to go from being on your own at home to crowds of thousands of people in the street and many of them very young people and it's definitely something to sort of navigate here for the last couple of weeks it's just the sort of re-emergence of human beings en masse which is very different from the experience of being online en masse we are still kind of socially isolated here but on our zoom screen which you dear listener cannot see over in wales in Tarloka Retreat Centre, three fabulous women who are waiting to talk to us as our guests. For some reason, I had it in my head today that there would just be one person. So when they appeared five minutes ago on the screen, I was like, yes, this is going to be like super exciting and new. Tarloka, we'll hear a little bit about in a minute. Tarloka are going to be leading the retreat for us that's coming up in July. It's called, I've been rehearsing this, Alive, Aware, Awake. 
in that order. I'm getting a thumbs up. Alive, Aware, Awake, which is a very intriguing title. And we've got an intriguing threefold team, actually fourfold team. One of them isn't here at the moment. But today we're joined by Ashudai Gita, Maitri Siddhi and Maitri Devi from Taraloka. And I'm going to invite them in to say hello now to our space. They're sitting really close to each other because they're good friends and they know they're safe together, which is lovely to see. Hello, Chanta Jasa. I'm Maitri Devi. Hello, I'm Pradaya Gita. And I'm Maitri Siddhi. Now, it's still light where you are, which is nice to see. Actually, recently when I've seen any of your faces, apart from the odd Zoom call about this retreat, it's been on YouTube in your gardens, talking very beautifully about nature and the part that a sort of awareness of nature can play in a Dharma life. It's nice to see you indoors in what looks like a library or a study room with lots of books behind you and some lovely open beams and light coming through the sunlight. How does it feel to be in lockdown at Tarlook at the moment? Well, it's a slightly odd experience because in a way we're sort of locked down in paradise in a certain sort of way. This is why we've been doing lots of YouTube things outside. It felt a bit unkind that other people couldn't come here and enjoy the loveliness. So we've been trying to share it a bit. On the other hand, there's seven of us, sometimes there have been eight, living together, which is um, not always paradise. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot believe it. Do you mean it's not harmony all the time? It's been a really, really interesting time because I think one of the things that some of us have really realized is how much we rely on being able to go out. So the service we provide at Tara Loka and the love we give to Tara Loka is with absolute generosity with the proviso that we can go out to a cafe or to a restaurant or somewhere else and see somebody else. We haven't been able to do that. So that's been very, very interesting. I mean, it's always quite intense here in the community because it's like you're living with the same people and you're working with them. It's six in the morning, you get up there in the kitchen, it's 10 at night, they're still in the kitchen. And luckily, they're all completely gorgeous. But um, uh, <laughs> it is just as well. But at the same time, it's just been even more intense. It's just like, right, there is no getting away from anyone. <laughs> So for people who don't know about Taraloka, there are obviously many women in Churatna have been to Taraloka. It's been such a heart of practice in our community for, gosh, a long time now. People who are coming to Taraloka new, this might even be some people's first meeting with you and the whole world of practice that goes on there. Can you give us a very quick introduction to the world of Taraloka? Where are you? What's its history? What do you feel you've kind of taken on as a team there? Well, I could say a little bit. I'm sure the others will fill in. So we're just on the Welsh border. We're about 100 metres from England. So it's back to lockdown. Been quite interesting having two different sets of rules, depending which way you walk. But we're in a, a lovely part of the borders. And Taraloka, actually this year we're going to be 35. So we were anticipating this being a big year for us. We didn't anticipate it would be like this, obviously. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we're sort of still thinking about how to celebrate. It'll actually be in November 35 years ago, four women at Sangadevi, Ratnashuri, Kulanandi and Karen Shri all drove up in a little car to a completely wrecked, completely wrecked sort of farm house and buildings. It's a pretty derelict. And it's been completely transformed by countless generations of women over this last time. There's so much generosity. So it's a place of beauty at the moment. Yeah, it's really lovely. So it's like there's two different bits to Taroka. There's this big white house, which is the old farmhouse. And that's where the community live. We live here all the time. And there's yeah four of us in the retreat team. We're all ordained. And then we've got three mitras at the moment. And then normally, like all through the year, we're just welcoming women, you know, like week after week. It's sort of like Friday is the changeover day. One lot of women 
leave, they clear the retreat centre, they drive off down the track and the next lot come in and the retreat centre just sort of like flows on week after week. Mm-hmm. So when we had this stop in lockdown, Maitre Davies retreat ended and suddenly there was no retreat coming in and the place, we just had it to ourselves, which in a way, how many people have got seven acres of ground just to enjoy so in a way, that's totally gorgeous. In another way, it's just being weird. It's just being weird. It's very rare. The retreat centre runs, you know, it's like the hub of Tararuka. And we run all levels of retreats as well. So we run retreats for women who are complete beginners to meditation, never come across Buddhism, never meditated in their life. We'll run little introductory weekends, which are just amazing. They're transformative. That's actually how I came across the Dharma and Chivatna was coming on an introductory weekend here for my birthday, a birthday treat for myself. And then we go all the way through. So we sort of run open retreats, retreats for regulars, retreats for women who've asked for ordination, study retreats for mitras, retreats for order members as well. Intensive meditation retreats. Yeah. Yeah. And so sometimes those Friday changeovers, you're changing from one complete introductory retreat to a completely different retreat. And that can be quite exciting as well. I enjoy that. A couple of things occurred to me just hearing you talk about that. One is the obvious thing for everybody, which is you've had to adjust to running a retreat centre online, which I'm sure we'll come on to more with the home retreat. I guess the other thing I wonder about that is what's it been like trying to make the adjustment as a team and has the kind of weirdness, as you were saying, Magic City, has that actually strengthened the team to find yourselves cheek by jowl in a different kind of way than expected? And that's a no, okay. (laughs) In a way, I think it has. And you may have to cut some of this, Chandadasa. I think it's been a bit like we've had to work together so intensively as a retreat team because it's like we're having to invent everything new. Whereas normally there's 35 years of history of how Taraloka runs. So it's like, oh, we do this like this. You just sort of follow the format. It's been honed over years. So usually running Taraloka is very smooth. And all of a sudden, it's just, oh, what are we going to do now? Oh, we could do that. Oh, no, I'm not sure. Oh, should we do this? Oh, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And in the retreat team, there's been four of us and we've just, you know, been working very, very closely together. But actually, I do think we're doing okay. And at the same time, sometimes we're just pushing each other's buttons like crazy and then like having to recover from that. So I think we've got to know each other a lot better. <laughs> I think we knew each other quite well beforehand, but like a lot better now. <laughs> Pressure makes diamonds. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm in a chapter in a retreat team with three people with Maitri in their name. And that's been very interesting. But actually, I think one of the things that's really become clearer is how much love there is between us, even at the points of the pressing of those buttons and the difficulties and the communication that we've had to go through to run the retreats we're running online, but also allowing each other to feel the grief or whatever stage of grief we've been at with the closing of the retreat centre, which has been, for most of us, quite a strong grieving process. And quite, again, sort of taking that sense of where we've, in a way, been going for refuge to how the retreat centre runs. When I say going for refuge, like just assuming that's going to carry on forever and ever, and then it just stops. And then what do we do? Yeah. So it's been very interesting. Yeah. And I think definitely been having clashes right, left and centre. Actually, it's like, we just come straight back into communication again. There's no kind of, well, you know, they're sort of storming off to the different ends of the building and then it's coming straight back again and kind of like coming back into relation, like you say, with a lot of love, actually. Mm. I mean, I do feel everyone who's in the community at this time at Taraloka would be like, oh, 
I feel like we've bonded for life. <laughs> There's no two ways about it. <laughs> it's interesting because I suppose I've lived in communities and worked in Buddhist businesses for decades now. And actually this past however many weeks it's been has been the most intense. And in a way, I think I've learned stuff about myself I would not have learned any other way. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, I feel quite pleased about that, but I also think, my goodness, what does it take for me to learn things sometimes? <laughs> Stacey, did you want to kind of steer us gently into the waters of the retreat itself? I know you were involved with Manchester City in helping get the whole thing off the ground. Yeah, well, I'm really excited about the next home retreat. I think this will be our fifth home retreat, which we've been doing since lockdown started. And I guess this sort of arose probably from the third one we were doing, we were being divine online, which is an exploration of the Brahma Viharas. The Brahma Viharas are, as if you like, sometimes defined as divine abidings, dwelling places, really highly positive mental states involving love, compassion, joy, and equanimity. And that was the focus for that home retreat with Ratna Vandana, who at the time, by this weird coincidence, would have been leading a retreat at Taraloka on the Brahma Viharas. It and was just coincidental, wasn't it, that Ratna Vandana and I would have been co-leading that retreat at Taraloka in the grounds. And we have this amazing kind of like mandala out in the grounds in the landscape and another amazing mandala in the retreat centre. And then just at the very time that it would have been happening, had lockdown not been happening, you decide that Ratna Vandana can leave it online at that very same time. Yeah. And the, and the wonderful thing about that was when we got in touch with you, Mitra City, while you were very happy to be involved and got involved in talking your way through, sharing your reflections on the different Brahma Viharas throughout the retreat. And I suppose one thing led to another, you know, that kind of receptivity to that. We started exploring whether you'd be interested in Taraloka leading a home retreat itself, which is, brings us to this point. The next home retreat, which will be starting the 10th of July on the Satipatthana Sutta. So maybe... I'll hand over and let you explain with this very particular title, which I'm going to now also try and see if I can remember. Alive, aware and awake. <laughs> no, well done. I mean, until Chandra Dasa said he wanted them a particular way around, I think I was just saying them in a different order every single time I said it. <laughs> so this is an adaptation of a retreat that Maitri City and I usually run. And it's usually an open retreat. And we would have run this at the time when lockdown had just started and we've been running it for about four years. It's just a Monday to Friday retreat usually and we do each of the satis each day. It works really, really well. Something about the simplicity of it, but something about the fact that you can be at any level of your meditation practice and it takes you deeper each time you come back and revisit those four satipatthanas. So the four satipatthanas are the four foundations of mindfulness. I suppose it's a framework where we can look at our experience. And basically, it's just really, really helpful. It splits out our experience so that we can go, oh, well, what's happening with body at the moment and like physical sensations? So that's the first foundation of mindfulness. So what's happening in my chest? What's happening in my stomach? As I try to be fluent and recorded at the same time. <laughs> so uh, that would be the first foundation of mindfulness. And then we've got the second foundation of mindfulness, which is just this direct knowing of whether something is pleasant, unpleasant or neutral. And it's just sort of immediate. It just arises straight away. You know, I know straight away if I drink a cup of tea, whether I like the way the person has made the tea or not. Mm. Um, it, you know, it's just sort of instant. 
And then we've got the third foundation, which is mind and thoughts. So anyone who has ever tried to meditate will know that this is the first thing that you become aware of as you, you know, you sit on your chair or your cushion and suddenly it becomes obvious how your mind's going, yuck, 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 yuck. What did I do yesterday? What am I going to do next week? And sometimes we can get really tied up in big emotional stories and dramas and I don't know, all sorts of internal narrative. And I love this foundation because, well, all it means is we need to become aware of that. It doesn't have to be a problem. We don't have to make it go away. We don't have to get rid of it. But can we bring this quality of awareness so that we know we're thinking, we know what emotions are happening? And then we've got the fourth foundation of mindfulness, which is dharmas, which could mean truth or teachings about the truth or, I don't know, direct knowing about the nature of reality. So you couldn't get much more exciting than that, could you? (laughs) And uh, what I love about that foundation of mindfulness is the teachings come directly from the Buddha, but it's not just saying, oh, you just need to hear what the Buddha said and believe it. It's saying, oh no, look in your own experience. You know, the Buddha said, all things are impermanent. Well, is that true? In my own experience, is that true? You know, oh, the Buddha said love is a good idea. What is that true in my own experience? So I get very, very excited by the fourth Satipatthana. In fact, I believe it's my favourite. We've all got (laughs) favourites. Pridayita is his body. Mine's body. I love body work. So I'll be giving the talk that's on the mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of Rupa, body. And I'm going to be doing chittas and a bit of dharma. I like the body as well. So I feel quite split, actually. (laughs) Luckily, you don't have to pick just one. (laughs) And I think it really is that thing that Hudayagita kind of already said, where it's like they're called foundations, like foundations of mindfulness. And in a way, where is our practice if those foundations aren't in place, if we're not able to be aware of body, of our like and dislike of things, of our mind and of the nature of reality? But it's very, very simple. So in a way, you can have 50 years intensive meditation practice and you can go deeper with the four foundations of mindfulness and you can be hearing about them for the very first time and they can really take you deep into your practice. So it's like they're unlimited and they're suitable for everybody. So that's why it seemed like a particularly good topic to pick for a home retreat. Yeah, I'm also aware that yourself and Rudaya Gita have been running these retreats for four years. And I'm just wondering, over that time, from your perspective of of people who are facilitating others to go into those explorations, have you had any particular insights, the effects that mindfulness has on people? Just this whole area of mindfulness, it's such a word that's bandied about a lot. And I was just talking to somebody about that, the idea that all you need is mindfulness. I mean, would you say that? Would you agree with that idea? All you need is mindfulness? Or what do we even mean when we say that? Just from your perspective, having been teaching for a number of years. I like this question. (laughs) One of the key things that we're always really clear about with the retreat when we're running it is that we're basing it in the Buddha's teaching. So I think as much as he's just said, the dharma's aspect of the foundations of mindfulness isn't necessarily taught in all areas of mindfulness. Maybe secular mindfulness will do the body, we'll look at thoughts, we'll look at the emotions, we'll look at all of those kind of things. But one of the key things is being in the context of reality, in the context of the Buddha's teaching. That has always felt year on year as to be one of the key parts of this retreat. 
Yeah. And I think on those retreats, I spell it out quite explicitly. And I'll sort of say something like, you know, you can practice mindfulness for health. You can practice mindfulness as a therapy where it's like actually you're having difficulties in your life. And if you do go deeper into your experience and work out what, how is it internally you're causing yourself stress? Of course, there can be all sorts of external conditions that you can't do, you know, you can't handle in that way. Actually, it will work. It will make you a happier, healthier human being. But that wasn't why the Buddha was teaching mindfulness. The Buddha was teaching mindfulness for freedom, for liberation. And so it's like, actually, you can take it on any level. It's completely fine to be practicing mindfulness for well-being. But actually, you might realize, oh, I've become a happier, healthier human being. And where can it go from here? You know, there's no reason to put a cap on it. When we very first started doing this retreat, one of the things we were quite excited about was explicitly teaching about the nature of impermanence, the potential of our minds, what can happen. On the final day, we talk about ethics and meta and love. And <laughs> so in a way, it's like because people haven't encountered the Buddhist teachings before, that doesn't mean that they don't want to know them. Actually, I think people really can hear the depth of the Buddha's teaching, even if it's their very first introduction to mindfulness. So just when you say that it's not just about well-being, it's about liberation, if you're introducing that to people who don't, I mean, obviously we have a sense of what liberation means, but people may not have a sense of what that means in a Buddhist context. Would you be able to say that succinctly? Because <laughs> I know that's a huge question, really. How would you evoke that for people, what liberation might look like? Or what does it look like for you? What do you feel moved by when you think of liberation? I suppose for me, in the context of this particular set of practices, the Satipatthana Sutta and the practices that go along with it, I would say it's freedom from over-identification with the things that are happening, whether that's the sensations in the body, whether I feel it's pleasant, unpleasant or neutral, the thoughts and emotions that are arising that sometimes can lead to drowning and overwhelm or withdrawal and pushing away and hatred. For me, the freedom is unhooking from that so that I can watch them. It's that image that sometimes we get given. I got given as a beginner and I never really understood it. You know, just watch your thoughts like clouds going across the sky. It's like, yeah, whatever. No, my thoughts are real. My thoughts are real. No, I this is really me. It sort of unhooks from that. And that does feel freeing, even on small levels. Each time I unhook from the negative thoughts that I'm having and the positive, but the negative, particularly thoughts that I'm having or the feelings that are overwhelming, every time I unhook from that, it's a sense of freedom. So just carrying on doing that over and over again. I lead a meditation on that retreat where I'm just getting people to notice impermanence in their own experience. And these are people who will have been meditating for three days, potentially max. And I do that meditation and then I ask them for their comments. And they will be saying to me, oh, I just felt like everything wasn't so solid and fixed. Or I just felt this sense of openness and freedom. You know, it's like, actually, I don't need to tell them that it's about freedom. It's more that we get them to do all these experiential exercises, which there are a, a whole selection of as well on this online retreat. And actually, they start telling us, oh, I feel like things are freeing up. I feel like things are opening up. It's like I've got light into this dark space. And quite often at the end, when people are going home, they'll be crying, saying, I've had this sense of freedom. I felt like I've come home to somewhere in myself. 
and how can I take this forward in my life? So in a way, it's not that I tell them it's about freedom. It's more that they get a taste of freedom for themselves and then they tell us it's about freedom. Yeah, that seems really quite important, doesn't it? That it comes from your own experience because, you know, liberation can sound wonderful, but then it can also sound rather abstract. Um, I guess I just wanted to move from there because I'm very conscious that experience is a really important part of this retreat and that this idea of leading people into their experience is something that both of you have really built into the structure of the retreat when you've led it in the past, but also in this home retreat that you're offering, this is also very much part of doing exercises as well as leading meditations and giving input. Could you maybe just say a little bit about the structure of how this home retreat is going to look like and what, what you're offering? Yeah, so as you say, Sadaisi, I think it's so important that the experiential aspect of this retreat, because in a way, you can have all the theory you like about the four foundations of mindfulness, but actually all of them are about getting closer to our experience, you know, the texture of our experience, intimacy with ourselves. Every day on the Buddhist Centre Online, there's going to be a meditation every day on the the topic of the day. There's going to be a talk explaining that the topic of the day. And there's also going to be a practice suggestion, which is an experiential exercise for people to do in their own way, in their own time, to really just explore for themselves. Oh, well, what happens if I do bring awareness to this particular aspect of my experience when I do that? Oh, what happens in my mind? You know, what happens in my psyche? What are the effects when I do it? Because actually also that's the only thing that's when we do something and we realize, oh, my life could feel so much more at ease. My life could be so much more relaxed. I could free up so much more energy for myself if I did this. Actually, having a taste of what it's like when we put time aside to do that, that's the only way that we're then going to think, oh, yeah, no, this is worth it. I want to do this in my life. This is important. So that's stuff that's all going to be available for people whenever they want to access it. There it will be. And then we're also running live events in the evenings, UK time, various other times, if you're in a different time zone, of course. And those are going to be a whole mix of some simple rituals. So at the start and the end, we'll be dedicating the week. And in between, we're going to have practice evenings involving different meditative exercises and other exciting things. And there'll also be an opportunity for interaction with Tarok team. You'll be able to ask questions and we'll respond to the questions and that sort of thing. You'll be able to take part in this retreat if you're listening. It will be at thebuddhistcentre.com forward slash awake. And we're already talking about what this space is going to look like. We want to make it a beautiful web space for people to go and feel that they're connecting to something really meaningful. And the image we've chosen for it is from your shrine room, right? The little statue, wooden statue, that looks a bit of the Buddha figure known as Amitabha. And there's a particular story, isn't there, about this lovely image which is bathed in sort of golden light with lovely reds and yellows and some really funky blue hair. So you're talking about the Rupa, the Buddha image, Amitabha, that Ratnashiri used to own when she lived here. And she's one of the founder members, much Devi mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, one of the founder members of Taraloka. And she lived here until she was, or she moved here when she was about 60. And she lived here for 29 years until she was about 88. And she was such a character. So she was blind. She was 88. 
and she got herself a little kid scooter and she was scooting around the Taraloka car park in it, despite not being able to see at all where she was going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's her Reaper and it was painted by Arloka. That's right, yeah. It's a Reaper by Arloka and painted by Arloka. Yeah. Arloka is an artist who's done a lot of Buddha statues and paintings and he lives near Norwich and that's where Ratanshuri grew up and where she first met Buddhism. So I think she knew Arloka. In fact, I believe she worked with Arloka for a period of time. There were various stories. (laughs) The story around the founding of Taraloka, which I'm not completely sure is true, but when they all moved here in 1985... Ratnashiri was the eldest by, I don't know, 30 years or something like that. And Taraloka was just this derelict set of buildings and there was no income. And so everyone in the community was just living on Ratnashiri's old age pension. And she was cooking for the whole community on a camping double gas burner. We've still got that gas burner. Which we've still got. (laughs) (laughs) And then retreats started running in the community house and it all went on from there. There's two things that are on my mind listening to evoke this retreat. One is... This will be the first time for a lot of men to come into contact with the teaching team at Taraloka, which is at least worth noting, isn't it? You've been at Women's Retreat Centre for years. I'm very lucky because I've been to Taraloka a number of times. I think I was actually there on Ratnashuri's birthday, was it 85th birthday maybe, something like that. For a lot of men, it'll be the first chance they've got to experience the benefits of layers and layers and layers of years and years and years of in-depth Dharma experience and Dharma teaching, which seems like very beautiful to me as the only man on the call. And like, I feel really happy that Taraloka, in a way, through the accident of COVID-19, is suddenly going to be just in touch with more beings than it normally would be. It feels very lovely. And the the other thing is just the name Taraloka. A lot of people won't really have a particularly in-depth understanding of that. Do you want to say a little bit about how you relate to it now, you know, as the inheritors of Taraloka 35 years later? My tree Davy, you've hardly said anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll say a little bit. I don't actually know how the name got decided on because I do remember looking at some minutes from the very early days and there was various random suggestions for names, most of which I thought I was quite glad <laughs> they didn't go with. But Tara Loka, so Tara, she's a bodhisattva or a Buddha figure. So she's an archetypal figure. And her particular quality is around compassion. She's said to be the quintessence of compassion, but she's also very playful. She's quick to respond. And also, you know, she's associated in some ways with fearlessness as well. And I very much have a personal association with Tara as earth goddess as well. Loka is just a place. So this land is basically dedicated to Tara, to those qualities and to that form. So, yes, it feels like we've been cultivating sacred space dedicated to her for 35 years. And probably each retreat centre has got its own particular set of qualities that are partly the land getting expressed through the structure of the retreat centre. It's got a very particular atmosphere here. And what happens is you get delivery men and people turning up and getting out and going, oh, what is this place? Whatever state people are in. My dad did this as well. He turned up. I mean, he knew it was a retreat centre, but he didn't know what that meant. And he got out and he said, oh, it's so quiet and that was the best he could manage was it so (laughs) quiet but I could tell he was picking up on something so in a way what our community is is a sort of group of us who are guarding and also hopefully holding and deepening this sacred space this land these buildings are dedicated to Tara and you know I mean ideally under normal conditions women come here and that's actually what they connect with they connect with each other but they connect with that sort of depth and atmosphere So it'll be interesting to see how, to what extent we're able to communicate that online. 
I don't really know much about other retreat centres necessarily, but I think Tara Lake has got a tradition, a very collective mode of teaching where we tend to work in teams rather than have a single leader. It's not always the case, but we do quite a lot of that. And I think there's a particular quality or flavour that we have here and it communicates something about cooperation and friendship. So that's another aspect that's quite important. I don't know if people will be able to pick that up. <laughs> it seems quite apparent to me just listening to the three of you work together in this context where you're trying to, I suppose it feels like unfurl a teaching of the Dharma. It's almost like I can see it on a beautiful old scroll or something and it's been passed from one to the other to the other. Daigita says something, Machi City says something, Machi Devi says something. And there's something very beautiful and collective comes across by how you talk about the Dharma together, which does a test of friendship. So I feel quite confident it will come across in your Dharma teaching. Actually, we should really just thank you formally. Thank you from our team to your team for being willing to do this. Everything feels like a great experiment just now. And it's amazing to come into a relationship with people who are just so enthusiastic about diving in and seeing how it goes. It does feel like it's going to leave a really lovely legacy of teaching for people that they can access in future. Thank you, Chandradasa, for offering it and Sadaisihi for offering it. In a way, I think that's something else about the quality of Tara, because this form of Tara, green Tara, it's this woman who is continually stepping out into the world. So she's got one leg in meditation. And when women come to Taraloka, they are going deeper into themselves and they're sort of contacting, I don't know, whatever. And then they leave Taraloka and they go off down the track and they're stepping back out into their lives. You know, Tara's doing that stepping out again. So it's like she's not able to give in terms of Taraloka and people coming here. But actually, we can step out online. So in a way, it's just like a different manifestation of time. When I first started encountering Buddhist teachings, I thought it was the most boring thing in the whole world. And now I don't think that. I think it's exciting and it's about going into the unknown. Hopefully that's something about what the title was trying to convey about, you know, alive, aware, awake. It's an adventure. It's exciting. It's not dull. You know, every moment is this new adventure. And that's what I'd really, really like people to get about what we're trying to run. So thank you very much to the Taraloka community. I'm really looking forward to being online with you more in the next few weeks. I'm also looking forward to continuing to see you in your gardens, just stepping out into the green world and evoking the green world for everybody else. Because of course, many people are just stuck at home with the four walls and homeschooling and all that really difficult stuff. So the beautiful release of the generosity of what you're sharing from your garden, I think is quite considerable. Thanks to you too, Sadaisihi, for helping set up this retreat. I know you're going to be part of the team hosting it for us as well, which is great. Just to have that connection through the whole practice series of live events and online resources. You can connect at thebuddhacentercom slash awake with the retreat. There's an invitation to sign up there and register that helps us monitor the numbers. It also helps you support these kind of events happening because retreat centres don't run for free and neither do online platforms. So if you're in a position to support Taralokan and to support the Buddha Centre online, you can do that there. But as ever, everything is just offered on the basis of generosity. So feel free to come along whatever your circumstances and just take part, whether you can do a little, whether you can do a lot, whether you can sit with the Taraloka retreat in their practice evening every single day and be part of the whole kind of arising of a community. 
practice community for a week online, you're welcome just to join us for that retreat. You can continue to meditate with the Buddhist Center online six days a week, three times a day. You'll find all of that information at thebuddhistcenter.com forward slash toolkit, where there will also be links to this home retreat. And we'll be back soon with more voices, more conversations in the podcast. But for now, thanks to you, Sadaya Sihi, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Chandras. And yeah, thanks to the Taraloka team. Just say I'm really looking forward to this retreat. I think particularly because I've been to Taraloka and well, when you were evoking this idea of the atmosphere, Maitre Devi, I could really relate to it. I think the last time I was there was in the summer and I remember just having that probably quite similar to your dad, that experience, ah, oh, it's just so quiet here. Except it wasn't just quiet, it was something else. Maybe peaceful actually is, is a better word. Yeah, it's just a very particular atmosphere. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how that kind of emerges online. I think it'll be a great retreat. So I'm looking forward to being part of it. And thanks to all three of you, brave musketeers, turning up to talk about this retreat. And the main thing I'm taking away from this podcast is just the sight of the three of you laughing together in such ease and spacious harmony. It's lovely. I don't believe a word of the difficulties in the community. I cannot believe any of it's true. So thank you. Thank you very much, Chandrasa and Stiasi. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much, folks. <laughs> Thank you for everything you're doing online for everybody. You're welcome. And we'll see you all online from July the 10th for one week at buddhistcenter.com slash awake. Come and join us for a live, aware, awake, a practice week on the four foundations of mindfulness. But for now, we hope you stay well and safe whenever you are. We hope you've got the kind of support that you need around you, particularly if things are difficult. And we'll see you again soon online. Bye for now. <laughs>